This morning we will continue our Encounters with Jesus sermon series. This is a sermon series where we go through the Gospel of Matthew and look at different times where Jesus encounters other human beings, look at the circumstances of those encounters, and uh, we learn a little bit in those, each encounter about who Jesus is, and for us, what does it mean to follow him? What does it mean to be his disciples? And today's encounter is with a leper, a story that is in Matthew 8, verses 1 through 4, which is on page 1,511 in your pew Bibles. It's just a short little story, but it's a really important uh, little story. In, in the Gospel of Matthew, it comes at kind of an interesting critical juncture. So really everything that's come up before this in Matthew has been a preparatory to Jesus' earthly ministry. So Jesus goes through his temptation and he has his baptism and he's born. So all that is the beginning of his life. And he's baptized, he gets tempted by the devil. And he calls his disciples, does a little bit of earthly ministry, but then chapters five through seven, as you probably know, are all the Sermon on the Mount. And that's him teaching his brand new disciples, this is what discipleship looks like, okay? So you have the preparatory, you have the teaching, but this is the first time that the disciples will see Jesus in action. Through eight and nine chapters, Jesus is doing things and the disciples are going with him and watching. And as you know, that is a great way to learn what discipleship means, watching what the master does. That's true of all of us, right? How do we learn? In a new job, in an apprenticeship, we watch the experienced ones, we watch the masters, and we disciple ourselves to them. So as we watch Jesus heal this leper, let's watch what the master does and let us disciple ourselves to him. And as we do, we will learn something about the who of discipleship, the what of discipleship, and the how. Three points this morning, who, what, and how. Good old-fashioned Christian Reformed sermon. First, let's read about our miracle. Chapter 8, starting at verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, and that's the mountain where he's just finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount, okay, just finished preaching. Came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him down the mountain. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the man was cleansed of his leprosy. And then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. This is the word of the Lord. So the who of discipleship. Let's start there. Jesus, as I just said, has finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount, which is a really amazing sermon which teaches us what discipleship is. And if you read through the Sermon on the Mount, what you will see is, and what will overwhelm you, is that Jesus' standards for discipleship are enormous, right? The Sermon on the Mount is a high bar. High bar for forgiveness, high bar for mercy, high bar for commitment, high bar for sexual fidelity, high bar for truthfulness. I mean, you name it, Jesus raises the bar as high as it can go within the Sermon on the Mount. So it's like a, you know, this high mountain of holiness, and Jesus comes down this high mountain of holiness, and then the first person he meets 
is a person as down in the bottom of the pit as you can possibly get, this unholy, unclean leper. He's covered in lesions. He's oozing with sores. He's hard to look at. He falls down at his feet before Jesus, before Jesus' feet, and he says, Master, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, if you know your Old Testament law, you'll know this is probably not where he's supposed to be and probably not what he's supposed to say, right? What were lepers supposed to do? According to Old Testament law, Leviticus 13, lepers were viewed as unholy and unclean, okay? Uh, they were sort of an embodiment of unrighteousness, of the destruction of the, of the evil of the world. Not necessarily they themselves were evil, but what they represented was the uncleanness of the world. And so they had to walk around with their hair disheveled, they had to wear ragged clothes, and everywhere they went they had to say, unclean, unclean, and they had to remove themselves from fellowship with others. They weren't allowed to go to the temple, they weren't allowed to hang out with others, they had to go and be apart. Lepers were the embodiment of uncleanliness. And so when this man falls down in front of Jesus, what you might expect Jesus to say, and I'm sure many of the people who knew their Old Testament did expect Jesus to say this, they thought Jesus would say, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be in the middle of the crowd. You're supposed to be saying unclean, unclean. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus reaches out, has compassion on the man, and heals him. And that sets up a really interesting contrast. You just had this sermon of high holiness, which sets such a high bar for what it means to be a disciple. And then the very first person that Jesus reaches out to is this man who is as far down and as unlikely a candidate as you will ever see, this leper. And when you think about that and start paying attention to chapters 8 and 9, and you look at the people who Jesus first reaches out to, when he starts his earthly ministry, you see something really, really interesting. It is an amazing collection of people that Jesus starts ministry with. The first one is this unclean leper. Who's the second one? Centurion, this strong, powerful Gentile. And then you have an elderly Jewish woman, Peter's mother-in-law, Jesus heals. And then you have Another beggar, a demon-possessed man from the region of the Gadarenes, who is a Gentile. And then you have a 12-year-old girl, who Jesus raises from the dead. And then you have Matthew, a despised tax collector. And so picture all those people. Imagine them in a lineup, standing side by side, okay? This unclean, unholy leper, 12-year-old girl, powerful centurion, Roman, 60-year-old Jewish woman, another unclean man who had been demon-possessed, and then this tax collector was now cast. Now, imagine those people together. That is an amazingly diverse group of people. You got young and old, you got Jews and Gentile, you got rich and poor, you got powerful and weak. And when you consider them all together, you realize these are people who in that society would absolutely never be together. You would never put these people together in a room. The only one who brings them together is Jesus. It is only in Jesus, chapters 8 and 9, that these people would ever have anything in common. And it shows you something about the who of discipleship. 
It's it's a foreshadowing of the kind of community Jesus will be creating through his life, his death, his resurrection, and then the sending of the Holy Spirit. He will create this fellowship of people who you would never expect to be together. Tells us about the who of discipleship. Who does Jesus call to follow him? Everybody. Anyone. Doesn't matter how far down you are or how broken you are. Once he calls you, you have a high charge, it's a narrow path, it's a high mountain, it's hard work. Once he calls you, he's going to do that heavy renovation work that's going to completely change you and it won't be easy. But before that journey starts, he comes to you as you are, in your misery, in your brokenness, he puts his hand on you and says, you, yes, you, I am willing to have you as one of my disciples. That's the who of discipleship. How about the what of discipleship? Well, without sounding overdramatic, I think this important little miracle tells us something revolutionary about the spirit of our discipleship. There's something revolutionary happening in this parable. In order to see what I mean by that, you've got to pay attention to the moment where Jesus reaches out and touches this man. That's a really important moment, and Matthew really wants you to see it, right? He says specifically... Jesus reached out with his hand and touched him. Now, why did Jesus do that? Did Jesus need to touch the man to heal him? Of course not. There are all sorts of miracles where Jesus doesn't touch anyone, right? When he sees a person possessed by a demon, he just says, get out, and the demon gets out. When he needs the water to be calmed, he just speaks a word and the water is calm. He doesn't reach out and touch the water, but here he reaches out and touches. Why did he do that? He did it because he's signaling a shift in the cosmic order between light and darkness. When Jesus reaches out and touches that leper, he's showing a cosmic shift in the power of good and evil since he has come into this world. How is that so? Well, we already talked about what lepers were supposed to do and how lepers were viewed in that society. They were supposed to remove themselves and not be a part of society because they were unclean. What would happen if a leper did come into society and he touched you? You would become unclean. You would be infected. In fact, you would have to go through a special ritual washing. You wouldn't be allowed to be around your family or society for several days. And it would be a complete removal and a terrible inconvenience. The evil, the uncleanliness of the leper would infect you. And in the Old Testament, of course, it wasn't just leprosy that did that. If you touched a dead body, if you touched certain um, bodily fluids, it could also make you unclean. And so the ethos of that was, goodness is this frail thing. Goodness, your holiness, is something that you had to protect, that you had something to be very careful about, because the evil out there was really, really strong, and if you'd even touched it, it would contaminate you. But now... When Jesus reaches out and touches that man, what happens? Is Jesus contaminated? Is Jesus infected? No. Jesus infects the man. Jesus contaminates the man. Jesus contaminates the man with holiness, infects him with cleanliness, so much so that this man is able to leave the place and go directly to the temple where he's never been allowed to go, show himself to the priest, and re-enter the fellowship of God's people. It's a revolution. 
balance of power between good and evil is shifting in this world. And that shouldn't surprise us because when Jesus came to this world, the son of the living God came to walk among us. And when the living God comes to this world to walk among us, you would expect things to change. You would expect the ethos of discipleship to shift. Jesus came to destroy the power of evil. As he says in Luke, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. As we heard about earlier in Revelation 12, when he came to this earth, Michael and the archangels threw the devil down from heaven. Things changed. And now in Jesus, in this touch, he's signaling that after his death and his resurrection and his ascension, the devil will be defeated. The ancient powers of evil will be in confusion and retreat because his touch is able to infect the darkness with light. Do you see how that changes the ethos of your discipleship? Is Satan still dangerous in this world? Yes. Dangerous like a wounded animal is dangerous. He's like a prowling lion seeking whom he may destroy. So he's very dangerous and we need to be careful, but we do not need to be afraid of him. We do not need to be afraid of the evil in this world because he who is in us is stronger than him who is in the world. I know that for all of us, it sometimes feels like the walls are closing in. Like the troubles of our society, the troubles in our communities are more than we can handle and that our little bit of wisdom and our little bit of light can't possibly do anything against such great ancient powers of evil. But do not be deceived and do not be afraid. Because the light that is in you comes from the light of the world. And he who is in you is stronger than he who is in the world. The ethos of discipleship has changed. That's the what of discipleship. Which brings me to the last point, the how of discipleship. There's something in this miracle that shows us a little bit about how we might reach out, touch things, and set the darkness flying. And I never noticed this before, but if you pay close attention to this miracle, it actually has two dimensions, two parts. And to see that, you've got to see the leper comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You need to hear the pathos in that if you are willing. When the leper says that, he really is asking that question. He's really not sure. What would it be like to be a leper in that society? If you spent your entire day wearing sackcloth and ashes and avoiding people, if you had to yell unclean, unclean everywhere you went, if you had to, if you spent your whole life seeing people physically cross the road whenever you were approaching, what would that do to your sense of self-worth? How would you think of yourself? You would think of yourself as unworthy. You would think of yourself as unlovable. You would really wonder, am I a kind of a person who is worthy of anyone's time? So when the leper asked Jesus, if you are willing, he means it. He's saying, Jesus, you're a busy man, you're a great man, and I know that I'm just a leper, but are you willing to spend a little time with someone like me? What's the very first thing that Jesus does in response to that question? Does he heal the man's leprosy right away? Is that the first thing Jesus does? No. 
the first thing Jesus does is reach out and touch the man and say, I am willing. That has nothing to do with the disease. That has everything to do with the man's heart. When he reaches out and touches the man and says, I am willing, it's aimed not at the, not at the, the, the leprosy, it's aimed at the man's soul, at his loneliness, at his shame. There's two parts to this miracle. There's a part where Jesus says, be clean, and makes the leprosy go away. But there's an even more important part where Jesus reaches out and says, you are worthy. I do love you. I am willing. And that's not the first time that Jesus does a miracle like this. Remember the miracle of the healing of the paralytic? Okay. That's the guys bring this man to Jesus who's paralyzed. And eventually Jesus says to that man, take up your mat and walk. But before he says that, you remember what Jesus says to him? Your sins are forgiven. It's the same two parts. There's the healing aimed at his body, but then there's the words that are aimed at his soul. I was thinking about these things, these two dimensions of the miracle, and it struck me that that has something to teach us about the how of discipleship. I am often frustrated as a pastor that when people come to me with their pain, I can't just speak a word or lay a hand on them and make that pain go away, right? I can't speak a word to you and make your cancer disappear. Boy, I wish I could. I can't lay my hand on a person and make their depression and their anxiety disappear. I can't lay a hand on you and make your chronic pain disappear. I know God does stuff like that. He's just never done it through me. So I can't do that part of the miracle. But what struck me is, so I can't do the, the healing part of the miracle, but I can do the first part of Jesus' miracle. I can do the love and acceptance part. I don't have the words or the program to be able to go out there to our struggling neighbors and say some things to them that will bring them back to full health. But I can look them in the eye and learn their name and let them know that they're loved. I can do the love part of the miracle. I can't make the pain of my friend who lost a dear person in their life and who is just lost in their grief, I can't make that pain of grief go away but I can sit down beside them and put my arm around them and say, I'm here, I love you. I can do the love part of the miracle. I can't wave my magic wand and make the fear and anger of society go away or make the tensions in the church go away, how I wish I could. But I can stand in the middle of all that and love and hope and pray. These may seem like small things, but they are not. It's not a small thing that Jesus saw the leper and touched him and said, I'm willing. It meant everything. So don't be afraid of your little bit of thing because the power of God is in it. The power of the resurrection is in it. Thanks be to God. Dear Jesus, we thank you for the testimony of this miracle and the way that you healed this man both body and soul. Lord, we stand before you every day, something like this leper, afflictions of the, of the mind, afflictions of the heart. And we thank you that in this place we can see that you are a God of love and purpose.
Touch us this morning, Lord. Renew our sense of discipleship. Help us to be faithful on the narrow path as we climb the mountain of righteousness. And help us as we go to be the sorts of people who reach out to those in need and touch them too. In Jesus' name, amen.